Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning and welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. And if you missed it yesterday, uh, there was a lot of news yesterday about the uh, presidential primaries on both sides in the upcoming 2024 presidential election. And so it's going to be a long year and a half. Uh, We are only a couple of weeks into the uh, what I think is going to be very bitter primary between uh, Trump and DeSantis, of course, the two uh, top contenders for the Republican primary. But now uh, former Vice President Mike Pence has filed paperwork to run for president. So he has actually jumped in to the race. Uh, And the other breaking news yesterday morning was that uh, the governor of New Hampshire, uh, Governor Sununu, will not Uh, join in. And his concern is that he thinks that uh, Trump cannot win the general. He has not yet come out and endorsed another candidate. Speculation, of course, is that he may uh, throw his weight behind Governor DeSantis, but that all remains to be seen. So we have talked, I think, a lot and extensively. We'll continue to talk about uh, the Republican primary. But yesterday uh, afternoon, Elon Musk hosted a Twitter space with the Democrat primary candidate who's trying to primary uh, Joe Biden. And of course, that is uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And that Twitter space lasted for two hours. Uh, There were over half a million people that tuned in. And I was one of them. And I listened for the whole two hours and uh, was on the list to ask a question. Unfortunately, um, they didn't get to everybody's questions. I had wanted to ask him and will ask him if he uh, agrees to join us on this program. We've extended that invitation. We still will continue uh, for that. And I know he's kind of making the rounds on media. So I um, I think that we will eventually uh, get to have him in the coming weeks and months. And the question that I wanted to ask him, of course, was on uh, religious liberty and uh, what his perspectives are on uh, more of the First Amendment issues besides um, a lot of what he has talked about with the vaccine mandates and COVID and freedom of speech. Um, Because for a Democrat, my honest take yesterday after listening to him was that I have hope genuinely that there are still reasonable people on both sides. And um, as all of you know, who have, have listened to me um, for the last, uh, you know, since January, since I've uh, been on AFR and who have listened to me um, previously, even to, to joining this network, um, know that I don't believe in specifically just partisan siloed party politics. And um, I, I believe that the Bible ultimately needs to be our guide for everything that we do in life. And foundationally, if we are Christians, then that foundation and the biblical worldview will then inform and dictate what our policy perspectives are in every area of life, including the philosophy of 
uh, government, what we think uh, is is right and proper for our law and our legal philosophy, what is prohibited and also what is permissive in government um, for our economic theory, for our philosophy in education, parental rights, um, all kinds of, of things that we have to deal with in life and society and in our working definition of truth in society and interacting with each other. And where we get kind of off track from that and we see this, what I kind of like to call a buffet of worldview, is when we aren't anchored in the truth of the biblical worldview and we approach different policy perspectives like we would approach a buffet, uh, kind of pick and choose however we want to construct our our plate of a worldview. And so we uh, we tend to isolate and segregate each of our policy perspectives based on what we think and prefer in that one specific area. Uh, and it's not necessarily rooted and grounded in a cohesive worldview that's consistent. And for the Christian, that should not be the case. But we see a lot of Christians, especially young people who haven't really uh, had comprehensive worldview training, are are most, I think, susceptible to segregating what they have learned about faith and church and the Christian life to what they do in public life and even in family life. And so the church then becomes this secular sacred divide where we do the things of faith and church, but then when we deal with uh, life and policy issues, uh, then we can have a, a lot of different perspectives. And so this is how you get to this inconsistent worldview of being, for example, a pro-choice Christian, which is totally inconsistent. And any of us who understand the truth of what the Bible teaches about the Christian life would know that that is an inconsistent standpoint. Uh, because if you are a Christian, that necessarily means doctrinally, you understand that God created and every human being is made in the image of God and has inherent dignity and worth. And therefore, human beings don't have the capacity to arbitrarily decide when life begins, when humans become persons and have inherent dignity and worth. We don't have that capacity. And we also don't have the capacity to say when life should end. And so life is protected and, and must be protected from conception all the way until natural death. And that is an outflow, that policy position, from our understanding of the truth of the reality to which God presented us. And so, um, so all of that to say, I am not um, ever advocating to simply say, because I am a member of X party, whether it's the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, the Tea Party, uh, the Libertarian Party, whatever it is, um, that therefore, because I'm a member of a certain political group, then I have to affirm and agree with everything that that party platform stands for. Now, you might agree with 90%, even 99% of uh, what the Republican Party agrees, uh, for example, but that shouldn't mean as a Christian that we cannot critique and disclaim and disagree with the things that are not consistent with biblical truth. And one of the things that I firmly disagree with, and I know a lot of you uh, who listen to, to AFR and are part of the AFR family also disagree with, and it's concerning, that we've talked about throughout this month, especially being Pride Month, is the, the platform of the Republican Party 
at large, not every Republican, but the Republican National Party that has largely embraced the secular idea of human sexuality. And with that, that we can redefine as a, as a people and civil society what it means to be married, what it means uh, to be a man versus a woman, what it means uh, to be able to observe uh, empirically and through biology our gender. All of these things that impact the LGBTQ agenda. And so from a Christian standpoint, um, I am never going to say that I am for everything about one political party, one political candidate. And I am always going to critique uh, every candidate or every elected official based on the comparison to how consistent they are or the policy is with the biblical worldview first. And that is my commitment is first, I am a Christian. And then second, I am an American and I understand and embrace the U.S. Constitution as the supreme rule of law and understand the founders that they recognized for the first time in world history, a system of government that requires government to preserve and protect the rights that are endowed by God our creator, not what government and whoever is in control of government ultimately dictates or says or claims our rights for humans. So um, and, and that's a great system. And that system is consistent with the biblical worldview. We are blessed to live in a country that our founding and our founding documents and our law, um, our founding law, not necessarily every policy, but at least our founding uh, U.S. Constitution reflects and is consistent with the biblical worldview. Other people in other countries don't have that same blessing. Um, and so they have to fight their system of government much more than we have to fight certain policies and certain laws as wrong or immoral. Um, but we can do so being consistent with our ultimate uh, governing law, which is the U.S. Constitution. And, and this is what um, my former client, Pastor John MacArthur, um, and Grace Community Church, that was that was our argument for them, is that they weren't going against uh, the the law and having to choose God's law over uh, the the law of the United States. It was actually, in fact, Governor Newsom and L.A. County that were violating the U.S. Constitution in terms of religious freedom that's protected in our First Amendment. So they were the ones in error, and uh, and the church actually has that protection. And so we are we are blessed to live in a country that we can make those arguments and we can be right about those arguments. And so when we look at and contemplate a candidate like RFK Jr., it becomes really interesting and I think fascinating to not just immediately have this kind of knee-jerk reaction and say, well, you're running as a Democrat. And because the Democrat Party as a platform, where the Republican Party, I probably agree with, you know, 90 plus percent of uh, the platform. And we can be um, certainly picky about some things. But on the Democrat side, I disagree with 90% of it, right? Because I don't agree with um, with how they want to have a bigger federal government. I don't agree with the pro-choice stance. I don't agree with the uh, how you know they're they're funding Ukraine, which actually is now kind of a bipartisan issue on both sides of leadership. But um, you know, there's so many things about the Democrat Party overall, especially their take on humanity and morality and disclaiming God and not being 
uh, for God in society that we as Christians would reject from their platform. And that's why I think most of us would say you can't be a Democrat in the sense that you embrace the party platform and a Christian. That's why we would say Joe Biden is not living consistently with his claim that he is Catholic and being so pro-choice. That is an inconsistent philosophy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that every single person who's running on a Democrat ticket is necessarily a person that embraces all of those things of the party platform. And listening to RFK Jr. yesterday in this space, I actually had a lot of hope that there are people in the Democrat Party or who recently came out of the Democrat Party, like Tulsi Gabbard, who may not get everything right. And there are certainly things I disagree with RFK Jr. on, but he was very, very reasonable. And that was really impressive. He is an attorney. Um, he was in environmental law. So, you know, of course, he believes in climate change and all that, where I disagree with him on that. Um, but he actually spoke to protecting our God-given rights and protecting the U.S. Constitution, protecting freedom of speech. He spoke a lot about the First Amendment. Uh, when he was asked about the Second Amendment, because historically he has been for gun control like the Democrat Party, he actually referred to the Heller decision uh, that, that Justice Scalia was the majority author of, um, which was the last really big um, gun rights case that the U.S. Supreme Court um, specifically said that uh, the Second Amendment preserves the right for an individual to keep and bear arms and said, you know, I think that that is, is precedent that the Supreme Court has articulated. And so we need to find different solutions as to perhaps the cause of why people go out and commit mass uh, shootings and, and have um, and that uh, you know, some perhaps some mental health issues and over medication in society. I mean, he was very forthcoming on those things, which um, for a Democrat surprised me. Um, and he was very much for uh, border protection. Um, and for a few of these other policy issues, he said that you know, the war in Ukraine, um, he absolutely didn't believe in. Um, and thought that, uh, you know, America shouldn't contribute to that. And there were a lot of things that we as conservatives actually overlapped in in terms of uh, his perspectives. And so I, I talked about this more on my show, um, The Jenna Ellis Show. You can go listen to that podcast from yesterday. But the bottom line here as we wrap this segment is that we need to be always looking at these candidates that what they actually stand for, not just say, well, you're a Democrat, so I don't like you. Because RFK Jr., if he ended up getting the nomination, I would be so much more excited for this country to say, okay, we're not going to go completely off the rails because we actually have somebody who is maybe reasonable on the Democrat side. So we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. So as we're talking uh, this morning, and we are actually on the road this week as well, I should mention that, and I hope to see uh, a lot of you at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver this weekend, and I'll be back in my former home state <laughs> to, uh, to speak there, and it's been a great week. Uh, but as we're continuing to talk about the, uh, the upcoming election in 2024 and kind of having this, uh, this view that is much more than just a siloed view between Republicans and Democrats, we always have to look at what the politician or even the pastor 
uh, is actually expressing and what the viewpoint is and coming back to comparing and contrasting that to biblical truth and not just having this um, this focus that if a Republican says something that's good, if a Democrat says something that's wrong, uh, because if that is our framework, then we're missing the ultimate point that as Christians, we always, always have to keep truth as our standard, not just uh, party partisan politics. And this was uh, really evidenced this week as well. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but I wanted to get into this more with my first guest because um, he actually had a back and forth on uh, this issue yesterday with uh, Senator Ted Cruz, who a lot of you, especially the listeners out of Texas, um, of course, I think historically we've all been uh, supportive of Ted Cruz and, and uh, what he's done in the U.S. Senate. But remarkably, he had such a bad take on Twitter. And I still don't quite get what his reasoning for this is. And a lot of us, including Tom Askell, um, who is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida, um, also asked him yesterday. But here's kind of the setup uh, before I bring Tom on. Uh, the New York Times reported, a, it just as, as a matter of news, that the president of Uganda signed a punitive anti-gay bill on Monday, that's their term, and this is what they tweeted, that includes the death penalty, enshrining into law an intensifying crackdown against the LGBT people in the East African nation. So if you actually go and look at that, it um, it punishes what they what the law terms aggravated homosexuality, which includes um, a lot of offenses against not only children, but also the elderly um, the disabled, and and that's actually how the bill itself and the law defines aggra aggravated homosexuality. So what Ted Cruz ended up tweeting in response to this New York Times news, he said this, this Ugandan law is horrific and wrong. Any law criminalizing homosexuality or imposing the death penalty for, quote, aggravated homosexuality is grotesque and an abomination. All civilized nations should join together in condemning this human rights abuse. Hashtag LGBTQ. So our friend Tom Askell uh, said this, tell it to God, Ted. Quote, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Leviticus 2013. He goes on to say, was this law God gave to his old covenant people, quote, horrific and wrong. Ted responded and said, Pastor, I don't know you, but I honor your ministry. Your biblical analysis is in error. Jesus told us to, quote, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. We are talking the laws of man, not the Old Testament laws of God. Do you really believe that the U.S. government should execute every person who is gay? He goes on to say, Leviticus also tells us, quote, for anyone who curses his father or his mother shall, shall surely be put to death. Should the government execute every child who is disrespectful to his parents that ignores grace in the New Testament? As our Savior taught us, let he that is without sin cast the first stone. So uh, Tom Askell replies, Senator, thank you for responding. I asked a question that reveals my point. God gave Israel Leviticus 2013. Do you think God is guilty of giving a law that is wrong, horrific, grotesque, and an abomination? That is my concern. 
I'll answer your questions. No, I do not think the U.S. should execute everyone who is gay. No, I do not believe the U.S. government should execute every child who is disrespectful to his parents, but not for the reasons you give. The principles by which you make your argument lead to great confusion and harm if followed consistently. It's important. Uh, this is an important conversation for both the church and the state. So Tom Askell, um, pastor of Grace Baptist Church and uh, previously was a candidate for president of the Southern Baptist Convention, joins me now. And so, uh, Tom, I, I think this is just so illustrative of how I hope that Ted Cruz is well-meaning, so we'll categorize him as a well-meaning person, really runs afoul of how to correctly and appropriately apply biblical truth and principles to analysis of policy. So overall, um, I just want to get your quick take on responding to this conversation as a whole. Yeah, well, Jenna, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity. And like you, I believe that uh, Ted Cruz is uh, acting out of the best of intentions here. I just think he's misguided. And you're correct. This is a classic example of how confused not just our society at large is, but how confused Christians within churches are about the matter of God's law and God's gospel. Uh, Of course, we believe that the only way you can be made right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, who came into the world, lived a life of obedience to God's commands, and died on the cross in behalf of all who will trust in him. That's the gospel. That's good news. That's grace. But the God who gave us the gospel also gave us his law. He's the one who determines what's right and what's wrong. And though he had special purposes for Old Testament Israel, he gave them special laws for that special time, and we should not try to recreate Israel because God had a purpose in place for them in their era. But those laws that he gave to them could not be horrific and wrong and grotesque because they came from God. And that was my concern with what the senator said was any law, that criminalizes homosexuality is grotesque. And God created laws for Israel that are very clear, uh, saying that uh, homosexuality is a criminal act, and that cannot be an unjust, immoral, wrong, grotesque law. And we need to look at that. And if we understood law and gospel better in our churches, We'd be teaching it better, and people like uh, Senator Cruz, who's a member of a Baptist church in Houston, I believe, maybe wouldn't be so confused about it. So that, that was my main contention, is wanting to show that what he said was actually a slam against God, who gave that specific law uh, at one point in time to his old covenant people, Israel. And it has been some concerns. It has merit for us to consider about what is right and wrong for all time. And, and that's such a great point, um, Tom Askell, that people tend to, and I think even Christians, tend to say, well, because uh, the law was given to Old Testament Israel, and of course, you know, moral law is never changing because that comes from the person mm-hmm. and the character of God, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We don't follow specific Old Testament law that was given only to the children of Israel. Like a lot of people will say, well, then why do you uh, you know, have clothes that that you know don't follow um, the prescriptions in Leviticus, or they'll right. pull all of these different uh, things that we don't follow today, and that's because we are not Old Testament Israel. But you raise the point right. that the law that was given to Old Testament Israel 
was not wrong or overbroad or the patriarchy like some people claim, because mm -hmm. if we are following that premise, the logical conclusion would be then that God had a false or bad or slanderous view of women, or that this somehow uh, the Old Testament law was not righteous and just. And I think a lot of people miss that point when even Christians sometimes profess that Old Testament law was too harsh. And that's why we live in an era of grace. And so how can we better understand that and understand Old Testament law in Leviticus versus what we understand as, as moral law that governs everyone, including in the New Testament era? Yeah, well, one of the ways it's been done historically that I found very, very helpful is to recognize that you have to make some distinctions in Old Testament laws, law from law. And however you do it, you've got to make those distinctions, or else you have all kinds of contradictions that you can't overcome in what the Bible teaches, but the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So you have laws that were given to Israel as a nation. Those are civil laws. Then you have laws that were given to Israel as a worshiping community, the people of God. Those are ceremonial laws. And then you have laws that were given to Israel as people. Those are moral laws. Well, God no longer has his people uh, operating in a geopolitical entity, as Israel did in the Old Covenant. But we are now a holy nation scattered throughout all of the geopolitical nations of the world. And so the civil code given to Israel is not to, to be taken up and tit-for-tat applied uh, today. That's, that would be ludicrous to try to do that because God had special purposes for that Old Testament civil people. And the ceremonial laws are done away with as well because we are not the old covenant people of God. We're the new covenant people of God. And so we have new covenant ceremonies that are given to us, like baptism and the Lord's Supper. However, we are still people. We're still made in the image of God. And so the moral law that is summarized in the Old Testament in the Ten Commandments that Jesus further summarized when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself, and then further summarized by saying, just be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, that moral law obtains for all people everywhere at all times, including us today. And what we can do and what the United States has done historically in the, the founding of this nation is look at that Old Testament case law that was given to Israel and say, are there any principles of righteousness in those Old Testament case laws? There's a case law in the Old Testament about having to build a, a, a fence or a parapet around your roof so that those on your roof wouldn't unnecessarily or easily fall over uh, and, and injure themselves. Well, that, there's, there's some real good morality in that, so we ought to have fences around our swimming pool. That's a good uh, illustration of how to take the righteous principle embedded in an Old Testament case law and say, well, if we're going to have a righteous nation, everybody has to have a parapet around the roof. No. But what's the point there? The point is protect people from uh, dangerous situations in appropriate ways, measured ways. So the civil law of the Old Testament has much to do to instruct us in how to operate, but we shouldn't say, well, because God gave these civil penalties in case law to Israel that we've got to do that in America. That's why when people have said, well, Tom Askell's advocating the stoning of homosexuals, that's just ludicrous. I'm not at all 
I do recognize that we had sodomy laws in this nation, and we ought to have a conversation as to why. Why were those laws on the books? Were they good laws? Were they bad laws? I'm willing to have that conversation and to discuss what the role of a civil government is under a constitutional republic regarding how we are to live our lives and how we are to conduct ourselves in various relationships. I think that's a legitimate conversation for every citizen of this nation to have. Absolutely. And that's that's the conversation that that legislators and people in the U.S. Senate like Ted Cruz, for example, should be uh, should be discussing. And it shouldn't just be Mm. I'm going to go out and hashtag LGBTQ because I don't want to seem like I'm bigoted or I don't want to seem like I'm hateful. And and I'm so concerned that people are calling me names online that we don't have these important conversations in the context of not only government, but then also within the context of the church. And and I want to have that mm-hmm. conversation and um, we're going to do that in the next segment. But in the last couple of minutes um, in this segment that I have with you, Tom Aspel, so it makes so much sense as you're describing. And I think anyone who has substantively uh, understood and, um, and, and been taught doctrine understands the difference between the civil, the ceremonial and the moral law of God. And so when you use, for example, the uh, the verse in Leviticus 2013, then how should people parse and, and understand in context the differences there when you do cite to some Levitical law that has a moral principle behind it and isn't just civil law? Like how how do we parse those? Because the the reaction is always, well, if you say that anything in Leviticus is binding for today, then you have to embrace everything of Leviticus. And clearly you're not following Old Testament law. No, that's, yeah, that's right. And great question. First of all, in the church, what we have to recognize is, okay, God is showing us uh, something that is an extension of the seventh commandment, which is a, a clear universal moral law, you shall not commit adultery. So sexuality comes from God, and sexuality is to be expressed in its fullness through a covenanted relationship of marriage between one man, one woman, for all of life. That's God's revealed will of what's right and what's wrong. So homosexuality, as does fornication, adultery, and other uh, forms of sexual perversion, distort what God has said is right. So in the church, we cannot compromise that. In the church, we cannot say you can be a homosexual Christian, you can be a fornicating Christian, you can be a pedophile Christian, you can be an LGBTQ Christian. It's impossible. It goes against what God, who created this world, and Jesus, who established the church, tells us is right, wrong, good, and bad. So in the church, that's absolute. So if a church member says, I'm now homosexual, I'm going to live in a homosexual lifestyle, the church must remove them. We don't stone them. We remove them. We don't, uh, we, again, we're not a civil organization as the Church of Jesus Christ today. In the civil arena, we should look at that and say, okay, there's morality here. What is an appro- appropriate law that we should have about sexuality? And we have those laws. We, we outlaw rape. Uh, we outlaw uh, bestiality. We, we have, up until not too long ago, outlawed sodomy, and we ought to have the conversation. Is this a right thing for civil authorities, civil government, to uh, prescribe, proscribe for the citizens of this nation? And I'm willing to have that law, and quite mm-hmm. honestly, I think that this nation was better off whenever we recognize that, yes, there are things that undermine human flourishing, things that destroy the fabric of a just and moral, upright society that we should not tolerate. 
And we will continue to have that conversation with Tom Askell when we come right back here on Jenna Ellis in the Morning. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, and I'm talking with Pastor Tom Askell, who is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida, and also uh, became very controversial yesterday, as good pastors always are, of course, because we need to provoke good things and provoke people to the truth. Uh, Yesterday on Twitter, in this exchange with Senator Ted Cruz, uh, talking about this Ugandan law that is uh, providing for criminal penalties for quote-unquote aggravated homosexuality. And in the course of this discussion, in the last segment, if you missed it, you can go to AFR.net and listen to uh, the rebroadcast of uh, this show. And we were talking about the uh, differences in uh, God's law in terms of the civil law given to Old Testament Israel, the ceremonial law given to the church, and then, of course, the moral law of God across world history and human And in the context of moral law, we need to derive our civil law for our government and our day because our civil law should always reflect moral law. And so in that context, um, Pastor Askell, um, I do want to ask you about um, the laws that we historically have had in America that uh, did provide for punishment and a criminal context of sodomy laws. And um, just as a quick background, uh, these, uh, these laws that are commonly referred to as sodomy laws were um, overturned uh, by the Supreme Court in a case called Lawrence versus Texas back in 2003. And the rationale for that was the same as every time the U.S. Supreme Court has promoted these uh, the laws that are the cultural um, premise of furthering the secular leftist agenda that's been an outflow of the sexual revolution. And this really started in 1965 with Griswold versus Connecticut, where the Supreme Court contemplated for the first time uh, contraceptive laws. And they they found this uh, so-called uh, right to privacy that is not enumerated in the U.S. Constitution, but they found emanated from the vast penumbra, the the, you know, the area, the space between the lines of the text of the Constitution, and they made up this this theory. And so, this so-called right to privacy was the basis of Roe versus Wade, that was eventually overturned last year, um, and Planned Parenthood versus Casey, that promoted this so-called right to privacy that allowed for some abortions in some circumstances, that was further expanded. And then it came to Lawrence versus Texas that based its ruling on this notion of personal autonomy to define one's own relationships and that government has to stay out of my home and my bedroom, basically. And then this was extended further in 2015 in uh, Obergefell versus Hodges that then tried to redefine marriage and say, well, you know, this is a right that uh, that human beings have to have a gay marriage. And so this has continued to extend from a non-moral premise, because of course, the so-called right to privacy is not derived at all from the moral law of God, but that's how our case law and our jurisprudence has gotten so far off track. So my question, uh, Tom Askell, is 
Um, is, is that the right way for our jurisprudence to have gone, or should we perhaps recontemplate uh, laws under the moral law of God? Yeah, well, the proof is in the pudding, and if you look at the pudding, it's rotten today. I mean, just look at what is going on in our culture and society, and the arguments uh, immediately after Obergefell, the day after the court ruling Obergefell, there was uh, there was an article that I read advocating for what's now being popularly called uh, the minor attracted persons, and why can't um, the people who are adults have sexual relations with people who are minors, your children. It's the same foundation that Obergefell and these other cases you described were decided on that this argument is now being made. And why is polygamy wrong? Uh, Who is to say that we have any basis to outlaw those things that still in our society, there's a a recognition of kind of a a memory, cultural memory. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Bestiality, at least in in most places, is still regarded as something that ought to be outlawed, should not be a part of a civil society. And so we've got to have these conversations, and you can't have them without looking at first principles, without looking at foundations on which arguments are built. And as you just so uh, accurately described and helpfully described, the foundations on which our moral anarchy today is built is a rejection of what has always been right and always been wrong that God has given to us, summarized for us in his Ten Commandments. And again, I I know people don't like that, and they say, I don't believe in God, and I don't like your Bible, and you you, you believe fairy tales. Well, you can argue all that you want to, but there is no denial that this nation was built upon a framework of those who recognize the moral foundation that is given to us in the Bible, in the Word of God. And that's why we have benefited so much that we have, as we have, over the history of our nation, is because uh, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any nation. And the, the uh, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord. I'm not advocating a theocracy, but I am advocating for uh, moral sanity. And we, we need to have the hard conversations to consider how do we get back to that? Absolutely. And and how do we get back to that? Because we have gone culturally so far down this rabbit hole of this so-called right to privacy that the right to privacy now has been transformed to the right to do whatever I want in in my own personal life. And now everyone is compelled to affirm anyone else's life choices. I mean, we are beyond the the questions of, um, you know, oh, are we condemning um, homosexual behavior, for example, we are now to, and, and that has been largely accepted in community where it used to not be, but now we are mm-hmm. to the point where we're actually contemplating um, th- these minor attracted persons laws, like you said, um, you know, all of these things, because at what point, if you move the bright line to say God established the moral rules for human sexuality and therefore human flourishing, and we move that bright line, then everything is totally arbitrary. And so any limit that the government would impose would probably run afoul of this so-called right to privacy. So how do we roll it? 
Well, I'll tell you, as a pastor, I've, I've uh, served the church here in Cape Coral for 37 years this month, and uh, I've thought a lot about this. And I, I just want to say, I believe that the, the major fault lies at the feet of God's people. We who know God, we who have the Bible, believe the Bible, we who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to confess our failures, our sin, and we need to plead with God for his reviving work among us. And our, our church is doing that. Our, we have days of, of prayer and fasting, recognizing that we've sinned against our God. And churches, pastors like me, we are the ones that are going to have to lead this in our churches. We're going to have to call God's people to look at God's Word again and confess our sin against Him and call for repentance. Again, Ted Cruz, as far as I know, has been a faithful member of a Baptist church in Houston. He should have been taught these things, and yet I'm guessing that he was not and has not been, and I'm, I'm not throwing stones. I'm a part of that, so I'm, I'm speaking in the first person, not in the third person here. God's people must humble ourselves before God and realize that we are in the mess we're in because God has brought judgment on the United States of America. This is Romans chapter 1 being played out in our eyes. God has given us over to our lusts and our rebellion as a culture, and if we're going to see any correction of this, it will come by God's people humbling ourselves and throwing ourselves at His mercy and determining to do whatever we must do to contend for his throne rights in his world, which means preaching his law, not as a way to gain favor with him, but as a way to show this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You're convicted when you do what's wrong. You need to be made right. And to proclaim his gospel, which is saying Jesus Christ has done everything to make you right with God. You need to come and bow to him, receive him as your Lord and Savior, be reconciled to your Creator. It's the church's responsibility, and that's my hope and prayer. I, I hope for the rest of my life to be able to give myself to uh, trying to encourage my fellow pastors to seek God's blessing, His forgiveness, as we seek genuine repentance. As we do that, then we'll be able more effectively to declare to people like Senator Cruz and others who are civil magistrates in our nation, this wonderful nation God's given to us, that we need to call them to remember that they are God's servants. He appointed them, and they're accountable to God. They're accountable to make political decisions based upon moral reality. And it's never politically expedient to do what's morally wrong. So well said. And I'm speaking with uh, Pastor Tom Askell. And this is why it's an important conversation for the church, but also the state. And we can't buy into this false myth that there's a separation here. And as people say, you know, well, fine, go preach that in, in your churches, but don't impose your morality on civil society. And while they claim that we're advocating for a theocracy, of course, we're not because pastors are not uh, civil magistrates. There's a separation of authority there and jurisdiction, but the divine law and the ultimate supreme authority is still the same God over both the church and the state and also the family. And so this it's the same moral construct. It's the same truth. And so as, as we then as Christians go into society and we are advocating these things to our civil magistrates, um, how would you encourage people to have this conversation 
of, well, maybe we need to recontemplate what is prohibited and what is permissive in society based on moral law, not just based on what has been commonly accepted for the last you know, 50 years. How do we start to have that conversation without feeling like we're just going to be shut down and, oh, you're bigoted and, you know, you're against, you know, people's right to love. Yeah, well, and it, it, you, you probably will meet that very often. I, I could speak from experience on that. But I think we need to try to help people to ask the right questions. And, and one of the ways I do this is just by asking, says who? When they say, well, you can't do that. That's unloving. Says who? Or where do you get that idea? By what definition? By what standard? Uh, Founders Ministries, I'm the president of that. We produced a documentary a few years ago called By What Standard, trying to make that very case, because it's not a question of whether or not we're going to be ruled by laws that are grounded in some morality. It's a question of which morality. Right now, we, we are seeing a juggernaut of the LGBTQ leftist morality that is telling us this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what's good, this is what's bad, and they have blasphemy laws, and so they will cancel you, they have discipline. You know, all, all of the things of the makings of a religion are operating in our culture. And so the question is not whether or not we are going to be a religious people and governed by religious convictions. The question is, which religion are we going to be governed and guided by? And I want to contend that the only true religion is the religion of the true God who created this world, who gave his son, the Lord Jesus, to save sinners and reconcile us to himself, and who knows what's best for us. And so I'm willing. I wish we could get it on the, the ground where those who are the uh, high priests of this new religion honestly say, here's our religion. This is what we want to argue for. And those of us who know God through faith in Jesus Christ can say, okay, we will contend for our religion as well and let it and try to convince you that what God has revealed to us in Christ is actually better for you. I mean, where does religious liberty come from? Uh, where does the mm -hmm. recognition that a person's conscience cannot be coerced against his will in any legitimate way for religious expression. That comes from the true religion of the true God revealed in the Bible and made to, available to us in Jesus Christ. So the true religion, true Christianity, is the best possible way for atheists and pagans to have a, a life where they're not being put uh, to death because of their private convictions. You, you don't get that in Saudi Arabia. You, you don't get that in uh, Iraq, Iran, where there are uh, these, these Muslim republics. No, you do it their way or you die. And that's not the way of Christ. And so in the civil arena, we have flourished and benefited in this country because of our Christian heritage. And we desperately need to recover it if we're going to be sustained as a nation going forward. Absolutely. So well said. Tom Askell, thank you so much for your courage, for speaking the truth, and for promoting truth and biblical morality in civil society in all of the ways that you do. And uh, we are praying for you. And thank you so much. You can follow thank Tom you. Askell on Twitter. And I hope that everyone does because his messages are always great. He also has um, a great podcast as well that you can find uh, there. So Tom Askell, thanks so much. And in just the last minute we have here, I also want to encourage everyone listening that um, the American Family Association also has um, a couple of resources if you want to go even further in understanding how to promote truth 
to a broken world and how can I reach the sexually broken in an effective way with grace and truth. Uh, the AFA Cultural Institute has a special edition that you can watch for free for a limited time on streaming.afa.net. There are practical ways to minister to the sexually broken. And the second one is the theological error of quote unquote gay Christianity. I'd really encourage you guys to go to streaming.afa.net, get some of these resources so we can continue as the body of Christ to promote truth in society and have a comprehensive biblical worldview. I will see you all tomorrow morning on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Make it a great day. Keep promoting truth. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.